Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Matthew 26 and verse number 36. Just by way of review, last week we spoke about the veil of the temple and how the Lord rent the uh, temple veil in two from the top to the bottom. That's how you know that God did it. You know, in the same way that he closed the door at, in the ark is the same way that he rent and ripped that temple veil. And of course, Hebrews tells us it was speaking about his flesh. And we spoke about Jesus Christ being the true tabernacle and Jesus Christ and how he dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as of the begotten of the father, full of grace and truth and uh, how we have direct access to God and that uh, we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats and, and lambs anymore because the lamb of God, John 129, which taketh away the sin of the whole world. Uh, came on the scene, and that's what John said about his cousin. And now I get to go to go, go directly to God in prayer. And I hope that you have taken advantage of the direct access that we have to God. I hope that we're not guilty of just hearing a message and not putting into practice. James tells us that we should be doers of the words and uh, not hearers only, because then you know what we would do? We deceive ourselves. And so let's not deceive ourselves tonight. Let's put into practice the things that God has given to us. And we have direct access to God and uh, not as Moses who had a veil over his heart, but that we can remove the veil because of the new covenant that glory will never fade. And may our face shine like, bright like the sun because we've been with the sun, S-O-N. And Jesus Christ is upon every countenance and all the actions and the words that we do and say would have the approval of God over our lives, you know. And then tonight, I want to speak to you just on the subject of watch and pray. Watch and pray. In Matthew 26 and verse number 36, the Bible says this. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto his disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Verse 39. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, the Bible says, Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me 
except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and he went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. In verse number 46, the Bible says, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Very simply tonight, I'd like to speak on that subject, watch and pray. Watch and pray. One of the jobs that I worked to be able to pay my college bill during uh, Bible college uh, was at a company called Juniper Networks. It was a computer company there in Sunnyvale, okay, in the Bay Area. And uh, they gave me a key card and I could scan into doors and go in and out and lock doors and so on and so forth. On one occasion, I walked into a huge room where they had all of these motherboards and computer systems and screens and everything. And I was doing my regular routine, my regular patrol. That's what I was doing. When I walked in, I, I smelled a certain scent and it, and it smelled like something was burning but I didn't see any smoke, and I, I didn't see anything on fire, but I smelled the scent. And so, Brother Edison, I called the command center, and the command center was the commanding officer that would sit in the command center full of different monitors that he can look at the remote sites, and he could look at the different buildings on site, and he had access to everything there, right there, with the touch of a button. And I said, hey, I'm in so-and-so building, in so-and-so room. It's a large room. It's an important room. And I smell a scent, but I don't know where it's coming from, but I know it's in this room. And so he, he called the, uh, the, the supervisor, and he said, hey, so-and-so officer is at so-and-so building. And he smells the scent, but he can't really put his finger on it. He doesn't know where it's at. And so the supervisor got a hold of the leading engineer of the company and said, hey, we have one of our officers that patrolled one of the rooms and he smells a little bit of smoke and something that's burning, but there's nothing in the room that's showing signs of it, visible signs of it. And so the leading engineer said, why don't you call the fire department just to make sure? And if it's a false alarm, the company will pay for it, you know. And so we called the fire department and about 20 minutes later, the fire department shows up. It's just two firemen. We told them there's not a fire here. It's not an emergency. We just smell, you know, a little bit of smoke or something that's burning, but we can't really put our finger on it. And so the fireman walks into the, this computer room, you know, full of motherboards and all kinds of gadgets and things that I don't really know the names to, you know. I'm just doing my job. I'm a 21-year-old college student trying to pay his bill. And so when the fireman comes in, after about an hour of being there, Brother Will, he noticed that inside one of the motherboards, one of the computers or the motherboard was melting. Apparently, one of the fans had turned off for the last six hours, 
and there was no circulation in that room. And so what the fireman said later, he says, you know, that was, that was a good catch. That's, I remember him telling me that, that was a good catch because you smelt it and even though you didn't see it, you called it in. And so the engineer received notice and uh, the, the, uh, the commanding officer and then to me, he said, man, that was a, you did a great job. You, you were doing your regular routine and in the middle of your regular routine, you found that there was something going on and we're glad that you called it in. He said, potentially, this motherboard would have caught on fire and then eventually this room and then eventually this building. And so we, I was just doing my job, you know, I was just doing my job trying to pay my bills. You see, the description of a security guard is two things. It's to observe and report. To observe and report. It was night. They might be heavy and inclined to sleep. They knew it would be an hour of temptation both to him and to them. I don't think the disciples completely understood what was at hand. This would be the last night of Jesus' human life. He already gave the Olivet Discord, and he told them of what things were necessary and the prophecy of the things that would come to pass, but they didn't quite understand it. God called the prophet Ezekiel to be a watchman to the nation of Israel, and you'll find it in Ezekiel 3 and 33. God told Ezekiel to hold them accountable, and if he did not warn the people, that he would also share in their guilt and in their suffering. Our God-ordained responsibility is to watch and to pray, to watch and to pray. Our master and role model in Jesus Christ certainly understood the issues of the day, the politics of the day and personalities of the day. We would be wise to do the same but at the same token, we must avoid the mistake of going to the other extreme. Studying world affairs, history, and even conspiracy theories more than the Bible. Without a sound understanding of God's word and a dedication to live by it, little else matters. If you're in the habit of writing notes, would you write this down? It may help you. Watching helps our praying, and praying helps our watching. Watching helps our praying, and praying helps our watching. The Lord brought Nehemiah's situation to my mind today. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verses 6 through 9, the Bible says, So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together unto half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Verse 7 of chapter 4, Nehemiah says, But it came to pass that when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Astadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. And the Bible says, and conspired all of them together to come into fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And so here Nehemiah, please listen, Nehemiah has some opposition. Nehemiah has been called back to Jerusalem 
to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. Do you remember that in chapter 1? He wept and he prayed and he rent his clothes and he cried to the God of Israel. And he asked the king, can he go back and be part of this building program? And God and the king granted him that wish. And so he makes his way back to Jerusalem and he's organizing all these families on the wall. And the Bible says that they rebuild the walls in 52 days. But you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, anytime you try to do something for God, there's always going to be someone or even the demons of hell and Satan himself that is going to bring opposition to the work of God. And when Nehemiah faced opposition, he did not call the armies of God in and say, I want you to begin to sharpen your swords. I want you to get the strongest shields. I need the strongest horses and the strongest chariots because we're going to fight against Samballat and Tobiah and the enemies that are coming up right now to trouble us. You say, well, how did Nehemiah respond? The Bible says in verse number nine, nevertheless, we made prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Nehemiah was very careful to set a watch both day and night for potential oppression. Nehemiah was very careful to pray to the God of heaven. Jesus Christ is getting ready to suffer like no man has ever suffered before. Jesus Christ will be afflicted spiritually. Jesus Christ would be afflicted emotionally. Jesus Christ would be afflicted in every way possible. There has never been a man that has suffered like Jesus Christ has suffered. There has never been a man who's been betrayed like Jesus Christ has been betrayed. There has never been a man who's been abandoned like Jesus Christ has been abandoned. Never a man suffered or thirsted like our lovely Savior thirsted. There's never been one that has suffered physical agony and spiritual agony and emotional toil and anguish of soul like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells his followers that these things are coming to pass and this is the last night of his life. How would you feel if tonight was the last night night of your life, and to add insult to injury, to know that you will not be accompanied by your friends and your family, to know that you will be betrayed by your closest friends and your family, to know that you are going to be left alone to die a criminal's death, to know that you've been wrongly and falsely accused and yet the injustice of the day led Jesus to be tortured and crucified for our sins. How would you feel 
Would you not be in the valley of depression if you were left alone tonight to die on your own? Would you not cry rivers of tears to know that tonight is the last night of your life if they told you that this is it, there is no hope for tomorrow? And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, no man has ever suffered like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the middle of the hardest time of his human life, Jesus says, I want you to help me to do two things, disciples and the inner three. I want you to watch and pray. I'm asking you to watch and pray. Would you notice tonight, first of all, the cup, the cup. The Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse number 37, please take a look at it tonight. Matthew 26 and verse number 37. The Bible says, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Like I mentioned, this is the saddest, one of the saddest days of Jesus' human life. This is it. He's very sorrowful. He's, he's very sad and he's very heavy. Maybe some anxiety, maybe some depression. Now, now please bear with me. I know that he's a hundred percent God, but the reason we can relate to him is because he is a hundred percent man. And so Jesus is very sorrowful and he's very heavy. Verse 38, the Bible says, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here, wait right here, and watch with me. And so he tells eight of the disciples to wait right here, Brother Lee, and wait right here and just watch with me a little bit. And then he takes the inner three, Peter, James, and John, and he goes a little further. And in another gospel, he says he's only about a stone's throw away. So we know that he's not that far away. He's just a stone throw away. And the Bible says in verse 39, and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now, I want you to understand that in Luke twenty two forty four, the Bible gives some insight to this, okay? In Luke twenty two forty four, the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And so the more pain that Jesus had, the more praying that Jesus did. Please understand that. The more pain that Jesus experienced was the more praying that he did. Now, this is not the message tonight, but I believe the Holy Spirit is telling, is telling me to tell you that when we go through the hardest times and when we experience pain that is unbearable, whether it be spiritual pain, whether it be emotional pain, whether it be physical pain, we must not uh, 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 run from the presence of God. We must not run from having devotions with God. We must not run from praying with God. We must come closer and draw nigh to God and pray more more, though the pain is hurt, the pain is deep, and though the pain hurts, we must come closer to God in moments of anxiety, in moments of depression, in moments of, of anguish, in moments when you're betrayed and, and you feel all alone. It's not time to run away. It's time to run to the cross of Jesus Christ. I like Dr. Luke. He's careful to point out the medical phenomenon here. I know the Bible says, as it were. And if you ask 10 theologians what that means, you might get 10 different answers. 
But surely, grammatically, it gives a certain insight into the possible hematidrosis of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where the capillaries burst and mixed with sweat, and the Bible says that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. The cup would be all the horrors of the next 18 hours. The cup would be the physical torture, the abandonment of his friends, the turning away from his father, while Jesus would bear the sins of the whole world. That is the cup of suffering, the cup of separation. Even from the beginning, if you read the book of Genesis, the Bible says, let us, plural, make man in our image. And so Jesus, the mighty creator with God the Father and even the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, they've never been separated. And yet, one time in eternity's history, Jesus Christ is separated from his Father. It caused him extreme distress, fear, facing death to the point that he would sweat even great drops of blood. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 10, uh, please listen to me, read it. You can mark it, down, mark it down if you're taking notes. Isaiah 53 tells us a little bit about that cup. The Bible says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet did we esteem him stricken and smitten of God, afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm talking about the cup tonight. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened it not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 10 gives some insight about the cup. The Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, when Jesus said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, he was talking about the cup of separation. I've never been separated from you, Father. He was talking about the cup of suffering. He was talking about that cup where, humanly speaking, he did probably, I know he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, but humanly speaking, who wants to feel the anguish and the crushing of the nails in the hands? Humanly speaking, who wants to feel the crown of thorns upon their head? Humanly speaking, who wants to be spit upon and have their beard plucked out and be buffeted and gambled over your garments. Humanly speaking, who wants to be betrayed into the hands of sinners? Who wants to be left alone to die like a beast, like an animal, half naked and bloodied and marred upon a cross? Humanly speaking, tell me, my brothers tonight and sisters, who would want to endure such contradiction of sinners? Nobody wants to go through that cup. And Jesus comes to the garden and he says, Lord, if it's possible, 
would you allow this cup to pass from me? Would you notice tonight not only the cup, but would you notice his compliance? The Bible says in verse number 42, would you please look there? Matthew 26 and verse 42. Matthew 26 and verse 42, the Bible says this. He went away again the second time. <laughs> I'm glad for this second time, aren't you? Yeah, can, can I get a second time in the house tonight? One, two, three. Yeah, that's right. Second time. I got a second time from like 30 people. And he prayed, and here's what he said, oh, my father. Now, now listen to the wording here, please. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink, except I drink, thy will be done. Now, notice the difference between the first time that Jesus prayed in the garden. Notice the difference there, please. The difference is this. In verse 39, he says, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If this is possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if your will can be accomplished by me not drinking this cup, then, Lord, let it be so. You know, the language of Mark really touches my heart. I read it. And in Mark 14, 36, Mark writes these words. He says, and he said, speaking of Jesus, Abba, Abba, that's a term of endearment in the Greek language. He says, Abba. That's like when my kids call me papi. That's like when they call you a mommy or they call you something else. You know, you have a term of endearment. They say, and Jesus looked up to heaven. He says, Abba. He says, Daddy. He says, Father. He says this. Watch the language here. He says, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. In other words, in his humanity, as a son, the only begotten of the father, as a son, he's pleading to the father and he's saying, Abba, Daddy, all things are possible with you. In other words, according to Luke chapter number one and verse number 37, the Bible says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And he was talking about the birth of John the Baptist. And, and if an old woman, and if an old woman can, can expect a child, I don't know how old she was. She was, I think she was 80 or 90 years old. And if Elizabeth can be great with child, nothing's impossible for God. And I don't know what discussion Jesus had with God at that time, but I can help to think that Jesus said, Lord, maybe, Lord, it, it, it was possible. Possible, Lord, when you turned the water to wine in Canaan, you remember that, Lord? It was possible, Lord, when you raised Lazarus from the dead. It was possible, Lord, when you made Bartimaeus see. It was possible, Lord, when the walls of Jericho fell down. I was with you then. Oh, it was possible, Lord, when creation, you spoke the worlds into existence. I was with you then. There is nothing that is impossible for you, God. Abba, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? Because Jesus in his humanity knew that there was nothing impossible for God. And then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And so then what happened? What happened between verse number 39 and 42? You see, Jesus said, Lord, unless except I drink this cup, 
if your will would not be accomplished, I'm paraphrasing and I'm rewording it, if your will would not be accomplished by me not drinking this cup, then Lord, as I drink this cup, would you please be with me? Lord, would you please stay close to me, Lord? Uh, Lord, if, if I have to drink this cup, then Lord, would you please stay close to me? I know in his humanity, he's begging God. Oh Lord, I know that I wanna do your will. Oh God, my will is to do the will of the Father who has sent me. You see, Jesus Christ always did the will of the Father. See, Hebrews 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus learning obedience is not in the sense that he was prone to disobedience because disobedience would have been a sin. But in other words, that he through the human experience knew what it was like to fully obey God. You see, Jesus obeyed God even as a child. Jesus obeyed the law even as an adult. He fulfilled all righteousness. You won't find Jesus being disobedient anywhere in the scripture. In Isaiah 15, verse 5 through 7, the Bible says, The Lord God hath opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off my hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore, shall I, uh, he says, shall I not be confounded? Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. So in the middle of Jesus' anguish on the cross, and he's begging God for this cup to pass from him, he goes saying, Lord, can I not drink this cup? And then he goes to accepting the will of God, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I'm going to yield my humanity to you, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. I like what Luke says in 22, verse 43. And if you're having them taking notes, go ahead and mark it down. You say, what happened in between the first time that Jesus would say, not my will, into accepting the will of God? You say, what happened? Did God completely abandon Jesus on the cross? I want you to see, can you just turn over? I want you to see it there. Luke 22 and verse number 43. Luke 22 and verse number 43. This is the same story, obviously a different gospel. Luke 22, verse number 43, watch, watch what the Bible says there. And there appeared a what church? Talk to me. Yeah, there appeared an angel. <laughs> there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. And what was the job of the angel that day? Talk to me, church. What did he do? Strengthening him. In the middle of, Lord, I don't want to do your will in my humanity. Let this cup pass from me. And from going from 39 to 42, where he said, Lord, accept your will be done. Uh, if, I, if I have to drink this cup, Lord, for your will to be accomplished, then let it be so, Lord. I'm going to do it. I believe that in the middle of that comes into play what Luke said. 
that in the middle of Jesus being in the garden of Gethsemane, in the middle of Jesus being in one of the hardest times of his life and knowing that he was going to die and bear the sins of the whole world, and we see maybe hematidosis taking place and the betrayal of his friends and the forsaking of his friends and all the powers and demons of hell tempting Jesus, right, in the middle of all that, tempting Jesus to not fulfill the will of the Father, tempting Jesus to not go through without uh, through the cross. And can I say this? If Jesus did not have victory in Gethsemane, then Jesus would not have had victory at Calvary. If Jesus did not conquer the, the devil and his flesh right there in Gethsemane, then he was not going to conquer or redeem mankind at Calvary. But thank God that in the middle of the hardest time of Jesus's life, the Father sent an angel to minister unto Jesus and to strengthen him to accomplish the will of the Father. <laughs> I need some heavenly help. <laughs> you see, it all started in the garden. It all started in the garden. Yeah. And the first Adam went to a tree. <laughs> he went to a tree and, and he ate the fruit thereof. And, and by him, by that action, sin entered into the world. The first Adam went to a tree, and by means of the tree, sin came into the world. Well, here comes the second Adam from above, reinstating us thy love. Here comes the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, and the last Adam, and he comes into a garden. He comes into a garden. Oh, that's not a coincidence, my brothers and sisters. It was a garden. Uh, it was representing the, the paradise that God had with man and how God walked with man in the cool of the day. It represents a perfect atmosphere, perfect God, a perfect situation. And here comes Jesus Christ into a garden. And in that garden, the Bible says that through that garden, he's led to a tree, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree that can wash away the sins of the whole world, the tree of suffering, the tree of obedience, the tree of victory, the mercy tree. Jesus died on Calvary. Thank God that tonight we have a God who conquered the garden, but he also conquered Calvary. And on the third day, he conquered hell because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Yes, he did. Oh, my. I need some heavenly help. <laughs> the cup, his compliance, and I end with this, their care. Look what the Bible says in verse 40, please. <sighs> well, you know who the disciples represent, don't you? Who do the disciples represent? Just raise your hand. <laughs> They represent us. <laughs> well, if I was there, Pastor Sammy, I, I'll tell you, I would have stayed awake. You can't even stay awake tonight. <laughs> Don't tell me about some Gethsemane. <laughs> Verse 40, the Bible says, and he cometh unto the disciples, and he findeth them asleep. <sighs> I like Jesus because he never had a problem with putting people on blast. Don't you love Jesus for that? just called him out. He didn't even say James or John, Sarah. He just, he, he calls the most thuggish disciple. He says, hey, Peter, 
He says, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? You had all day to sleep. I'm getting ready to die. I'm praying in this garden and the forces of hell are against me. I left the eight over there and I brought you three. Y'all saw me, you saw me on that mountain. You saw Elisha, you saw Moses. You saw the fireworks show. And here you are when I mostly need you and you know what you're doing, you're sleeping. Verse 41, let's read it aloud please. I'm gonna honor the time, I got five minutes. Here we go, verse number 41. Ready, begin. Watch and pray, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Jesus said the what? The spirit indeed is what? It's willing, but the flesh is what? You say, why would Jesus say this? Because in verse 35 of Matthew 26, listen to what Peter says. Just listen to this. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee. Man, this is big, bold words right here. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not what? I won't deny you. And when Peter said something, you know who else said it? All the disciples. Likewise also said all the disciples. Peter's desire was right. I'm not knocking Brother Peter tonight. His desire was right. He said, Lord, I'm down for the set. I'm down for you. I'm willing to die for you. I got your back, Lord. You ever had somebody tell you they got your back? only to find out that when you mostly needed them, they didn't have your back or they, they had a knife in your back. You know what I'm talking about, those people? Peter denied the Lord three times. He had a right desire. But what Peter did not understand, listen, church, is what we don't understand sometimes. Please listen and don't miss this. Jesus Christ has given us the ministry of watching and praying, of praying and watching because Jesus knows that the spirit is willing. You know what that word willing means? It means ready, it means able. So the spirit is able to stay away from temptation. The spirit is willing to stay spiritually awake and not sleep. The spirit is willing to walk in purity and in honor and in humility and in holiness. The spirit is willing to do those things. Ah, but there's a big enemy that we have to deal with. No, it's not Satan. No, it's not your brother, your sister. No, it's not your wife for your husband and your children, the biggest enemy that you have to deal with every day. You're looking at them every day in the mirror when you fix your hair, sister, or when you brush your teeth or shave, my brother. The biggest enemy of the Christian life is our flesh. It's our flesh. Would you please notice what Paul said in the book of Romans? Romans chapter number seven, please. It is our flesh. Verse 43 of Matthew 26, turn to Romans 7, 18, and I'll read you what Matthew says. He says, and he came and he found them asleep again because their eyes were heavy. They were tired. And they come to the disciple and he says, sleep on, take your rest. In Luke 22:45, 45, he gives another insight to this. He says, and when he arose from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Boy, nothing quite messes you up like being sleepy and also being sad. Many of us had those nights before. In Romans 7, 18, the Bible says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, 
Paul said, dwelleth no good thing. For to will, do you see that word will, church? For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I, I find not. And so Paul is saying that everything that is in the flesh is enmity against God. Everything that is in the flesh is destruction. The flesh separates us from the glory of God. And so don't put any confidence in your flesh. Don't lean upon your own understanding. Don't act like you got everything figured out. Don't think that you can just play church and play the Christian life. No, our flesh is deceiving. Our flesh is destructive. Our flesh will always cause a division between a holy God and the sinners. I'm telling you, my brothers, our flesh will fail us every time. And Jesus said, you're going to enter into temptation. You say, what's their temptation? Well, he was specifically talking about my opinion. They denying Jesus Christ. All men forsook him. Jesus was let alone when he died on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus asked him, will you also go away? And of course they spoke up, where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And you say, Pastor Sammy, I'll never deny Jesus Christ. I'll be careful about saying those words tonight because the flesh of Peter is as strong as your flesh and as strong as my flesh. And if Peter battled with denying Jesus, having spent three and a half years with him and having had dinner with him and breakfast and saw the miracles and was with him, I'm telling you, if Peter had a problem with his flesh, then so do I and so do you. And so the better that you recognize that you have a problem with your flesh, I think the better you'll be at watching and praying. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, all of us here have a problem with the flesh. Let me say this, before any Christian started skipping out on church on a regular basis, before any Christian started skipping out on church on a regular basis, they started skipping out on their watching and praying. Before any Christian decided, well, I'm not just gonna, you know what, I just, church is not for me anymore. And are we living in a state of apostasy right now? When even some preachers would stand up and say, I don't believe all of what the Bible has to say anymore. I don't believe in creation like that anymore. And the author of good girl, bad girl, good guy, I don't know, something like that, boy meets girl and all that, and he can stand up, million copies sold, and he can say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ's resurrection anymore. That's the state of apostasy, my brothers and sisters. And before any Christian ever gets hooked on pornography, they forgot their prayer life. And before any Christian ever is unfaithful to their spouse, they forgot their prayer life. And before any Christian ever said, I'm never given to the Lord's work and I'm going to live for myself and the pleasures of this life and materialism, I'm telling my brothers and sisters, they long ago left their prayer life, my brother. Preacher, you're preaching hard tonight. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Robert Robinson, he had it right when he said, oh to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And here's what he said. Prone to wander. Say, preacher, who are you preaching to? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. 
You say, God sent the angel to strengthen Jesus on the cross. I wonder when we're watching and praying, if there's anybody that God sends to help us. I wonder if there's anybody that can come alongside of us when we're watching and praying and we need somebody to strengthen us in the prayer closet. Now my prayer warriors in the house know what I'm talking about. When you're vigilant and when you're sober and you're looking out and God has given you a little bit of that vision and God has given you a little bit of protective walls and things that may happen in your life and God's allowing you to see certain things. You're like, God, I know it's you. And sometimes, Lord, my flesh is weak. Yes, I've fallen asleep when I went to prayer before. Yes, Yes, I've been sad and cried myself to sleep. Yes, I've had anxiety. Yes, I've had depression. Yes, I've had all kinds of cynicism and I've gone away from his presence. You say in those times, Pastor Sammy, who has helped you? And I'm trying to tell you tonight that the Bible says in Romans 8:26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weakness. For we know not we wish to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he searches the heart and knoweth the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And when you're weak and when you're down and you need strength in your garden of Gethsemane, I'm trying to tell you, Liberty Baptist Church, that the Holy Spirit will show up and strengthen you. Praise God. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you and he strengthens you. I end with this verse. 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him. For he what, church? He cares for you. The next verse says this. Be sober. And be what? You know what that word vigilant means? Watch. Watch. Because your adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. When we in our pride think that we can deal with our problems, when we internalize the problems instead of verbalizing, verbalizing them before God, when we think we're stronger than what we are, my brothers, it is then that Satan comes along and he begins to destroy Christians. And our flesh begins to deteriorate our walk with God. I got this, Lord. Oh, no. I'll die with you. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Can you spend an hour with God this week? You answer in your heart, can you spend an hour with God this week? Can you at least try to spend an hour with God? What, you can't give me one hour out of 24? One hour out of 24? Surely you can give me one hour. Can you spend an hour with God this week? Start by praising God. Go through his names and just worship him and praise him for who he is. Oh, there's a lot of things in the Bible that say about that. Praise his name. Intercede for people. Confess some sin. Agree with the Holy God. Begin to pray for different people in the church you see here tonight. Begin to pray for missionaries in different situations. Yeah, pray for what's going on in, 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 in D.C. And, and ask God for mercy. Pray for your pastor and pray for the church. And lastly, would you finish with giving thanks to God?
say, I'm going to spend this hour with God this week. And I promise you, my brothers and sisters, after you've watched and prayed for an hour, you come out differently. Kenneth Kukendall, pastor, he said this, and I'm, I'm done now. He said, the great reward of prayer is not walking away with some sought-after possession in hand. No. The great reward of prayer is simply walking away with God. That's the great reward in prayer. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. The greatest thing about prayer is that you get to be with God, that you walk away with God. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.